Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hi, Justin Bing Chiling. Hello, hello, it's me. I'm back. Now, picture in your mind. One of England's oldest merchant banks, alright? Founded in 1792 by Francis Baring, the Baring's Bank. It's an institution founded by the Baring's family. A family belonging to aristocracy with roots in both England and Germany. Okay, so Princess Diana, you know Princess Diana? Yep. She was the great-granddaughter of Margaret Baring. So that's how bougie this family is, alright? So this was a bank that actually helped to facilitate the largest land purchase in history. The Louisiana Purchase, which basically doubled the size of the US. Oh damn, that's huge. Alright, and this was a bank which in 1818 was known as the Sixth Great European Power combined with England, France, Prussia, Austria, and Russia. Wait, they are on the same scale as a country? They are on the same power scale. That's uh, how much political see, power they held. So now, can you imagine? Can you imagine what kind of place it was over hundreds of years? How could you take down a bank like that? How about one man in a Singapore branch of the Barings Bank going... Hi, I'm Teddy. And I'm Justin. And welcome to A Briefcase. Today we're covering an interesting piece of white-collar crime. We're covering the case of Nick Leeson, who bankrupted Britain's oldest bank and created a worldwide financial scandal. Nick Leeson was born Nicholas William Leeson on 25th February 1967. He was born in Watford, Hertfordshire, <laughs> to a working class family that lived on a council estate. So it's like really working class, working class. Oh, I thought he was Singaporean, you know. No, no, no. He's a... What was that? Foreign Expert. talent. Foreign talent. Yes. yes. Alright, his dad was self-employed and worked as a plasterer, you know, like in construction sites. And his mom was a nurse. So like a, a very working class family. So he wasn't a particularly good student. And he finished sixth form in 1985. So he had six O-levels. And for his A-levels, he just passed English Lit and History with C and D. So he failed like everything else for his A-levels. Oof. And just as a side note, he failed math. Like oof. Double oof. <laughs> After school, he started working in the banking industry. Doing what? So first, he worked as a clerk for... Quotes. So I'm not too familiar with all these. So like, if you know anything, you can always just interject, okay? And then in 1987, he moved to Morgan Stanley, which I think most of us are familiar with. And in 1989, when he was 22 years old, he started working at you guessed it, Baring's Bank, and the salary was about twelve thousand pounds 
a year. So I think that's like 36k. Is that oh, a Oh yeah, yeah. So he's he's probably like doing some administrative job, right? Uh Because he has no degree, yeah. no yeah, no qualifications. Mm. But then he really proved himself because about a year later he was sent to Jakarta to sort up something like 100 million pounds worth of back contracts. So I'm not a banker so I have no idea what it really means. Um do you know what a back contract is? Suppose it's something where there's like potential bad debt. I mean, like loans that you, <laughs> loans that are doubtful. You ah, know? okay, okay. Yeah. Thanks, Justin Ping Chiling. Yeah, I don't know if I'm actually right myself. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, it turns out he was really good at it, and it was a good thing that he was sent to Jakarta anyway, because that's where he would meet his wife. Lisa Sims, and he would end up marrying her about three years later, in 1992. So, Ooh. 1992 was a really busy year for Nick. He got married to Lisa, and at the same time, Barings Bank decided to open a futures and options office in Singapore to trade in the Singapore International Monetary Exchange. This is where Nick was posted to. So what's the futures and options office, Justin? I don't know. Why are you asking me this kind of thing? I sell ice cream, remember? I know, but like, I thought you need to know this kind of things to sell ice cream. <laughs> no, I just need to know what flavor you want. <laughs> okay, so he was appointed as a general manager of the Singapore branch, okay? And so he headed both front and back offices. Now here's a fun fact. So it turns out that to trade, you need something called a broker's license, right? Yeah, but you know, as a as a GM, I think he's uh, he's helming the whole place. Like he yeah, like for Japanese companies, the GM mm-hmm. is like the CEO equivalent. Or like they don't trade, ah, they're not on the floor that uh, kind. Typically, they don't, but they oversee every single thing. Wow. Okay. Okay. But actually, like. It turned out that his application was rejected in the UK because he committed fraud on his application, and he didn't report a judgment against him by another bank. And neither of these facts were disclosed when he applied for his broker's license in Singapore. But at the same time, his I guess his company wanted him to have a broker's license. I guess so he could maybe like step in if it was necessary. Yeah, but was this before he was discovered or? They knowingly put him in that position. Well, I think they didn't know that. Like, I oh, think he purposely. Okay. We don't know because I couldn't find any information about it. But he feels like the type who would like omit this kind of thing. Oh, he must be very charismatic then. That's right. Okay, so I guess initially that didn't matter because according to Business Times, when Nick joined the office, the profits jumped from two point seven million dollars to twenty point three million. Holy. And for context, at that time, 10 million was 10% of Bering's annual profit. Oh, then they aren't really that big of a bank, also, right? I actually don't know, lah. <laughs> yeah, I don't think they're that big of a bank. Like when I was doing research, it was called like um Britain's third biggest merchant bank or something like that. Ah, uh, okay, okay. Let's go on. All right, that year his salary was fifty thousand pounds, right? So I guess in the nineteen ninety says like hundred fifty k. Oh yeah, if you yeah. take into account inflation and stuff, it's probably quite a big amount of money. Yeah, but his bonus was hundred and thirty thousand pounds. Okay, okay. Yeah. So that's like crazy big money for somebody who's like under thirty. 
Oh, he yeah. was under 30. He's like 20 something only. He's oh like, Oh my goodness, yeah. and he was the GM. Yeah, okay. So Nick and his wife, they lived in Anguilla View. So it's a condo in Orchard that was like 5k a month. But 5k a month now, today, that kind of pricing is probably like 10k something to rent, right? Yep. So I checked this out for context. So Anguilla View, it doesn't exist anymore. But I found Anguilla Park in Orchard Road. And today's money is 8k for a two-bidder. Damn, that's expensive. And it's not big. It's like like less than less than seven hundred square feet or something. Man, I gotta work like almost a year for that kind of pay. <laughs> Selling ice cream doesn't earn me much. Damn, ice cream. Okay, so one of the bank's auditors' reports, right, actually recommended that he was retained as long as possible. And another trader compared him to a trading god who could make or break the market. So I'm guessing because of his success, by 1993, he was allowed to do proprietary trades for the entire Bearings group. So he wasn't so lucky then because he started dealing in something called Nikkei 225 Profits and Options. And he was like supposedly making a hell of money. But no, plot twist, he was not making a hell of money. And he was using something called an error account to hide his losses. So I also don't know what error account is, okay? So this this whole case was very hard for me to research. But <laughs> apparently, it's an account used to correct, correct mistakes in trading. So he didn't just hide his own errors, but also for people around him. Oh, that's why everyone like sing his praises, you know? Mm. So it's like, I guess it's like cooking the books for accounting. Yeah. And then nobody really know that you're losing money, but you're still yeah. partying. But and it then, looks like everyone's winning. Yeah, and I think last time there wasn't like, that much controls in the bank as well. Really? Yeah, like control wow. functions. Maybe it's not as, uh, call it maybe like abundant, but I cannot mm. find a better word. For like now there's probably a whole department to check these kind of things, right? Yeah, you yeah. have a lot more controls in place, mm. uh, risk procedures and guidelines to follow. Last time it's like, you earn us money and then we'll do whatever you oh, want. Oh, shit. <laughs> okay, like for example, right? Um, so these are things he would hide for his colleagues. I think that's why people would have his back, right? So for example, somebody was supposed to buy, buy like a option or whatever, right? But instead would sell and then the bank would lose like 20k or something, right? And there was another trader who was known to come in after like a night of partying, like like hungover, like Wolf of Wall Street, but in Singapore, that kind of shit, right? <laughs> And then, so, you know, when you're hungover, you can't focus. And even worse, you know, sometimes you party so hard, not that I know, that you're still drunk from the night before. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. But of course, we wouldn't know that being an ice cream seller and a podcaster. Yeah, yeah. I don't earn that much. I can't afford beer. So, like, this dude, he forgot to reconcile a discrepancy for 500 contracts and cost the bank $1.7 million. And Nick, Nick would hide all these mistakes in the quote-unquote error account. And by the end of 1992, so remember he started as a GM at that bank at the start of 1992, but by the end, the error account had... Two million pounds worth of losses. I thought you say he he made he doubled the profit in the first year. Uh yeah, but like the whole time the error count is just like compounding. Oh, so he never actually made a profit at all. Okay, and in late nineteen ninety three, the error account. So the account name was error account eight 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 eight, but it was not what at all. It had more than twenty three million pounds worth of losses. And guess, just guess how much it was at the end of nineteen ninety four. How much the error count was hiding? If you take it compounding, it's probably about fifty million. Two hundred 
and eight million. Oh, they bet, they bet how, at their job. How he lose so much money? Yeah. Okay, I have the answer here. <laughs> if you just don't trade and like you, like you stay in your office, you probably lose another five million a year instead of two hundred and an additional hundred and eighty million. You know, oh my goodness, this guy. Okay, so Nick had this strategy. He called it a doubling strategy. Big numbers are very scary, so let's use small numbers. So imagine he lost two dollars on a trade. He would go and bet four dollars on another trade to recoup the amount. Oh, that's just your normal gambler's fallacy. No need to <laughs> call it a Dublin something. Oh, right? that's what they called it in the article. Then I like a bit gong gong. Then I like, oh, oh, what Dublin, Dublin. And now they gotta use uh, bombastic words yeah. and fancy terms to like obfuscate the normal, whoa, whoa. the average <laughs> listener. What was that? What was that? Ob- obfuscate? Obfuscate? It's like confused. Oh, okay. Wow, wow. What a big word. We're all learning Maybe big I, words today. Maybe I am wrong. Maybe the pronunciation might be wrong because, <laughs> again, you must remember I just sell ice cream. I hear all these big words from my customers, you know? Especially when you park your ice cream at the Raffles place, you know, the MBFC. Oh, yeah. It gets very hot under the sun and sometimes I can't really think well, you know? <laughs> okay. So... This wasn't untested though. At one point, right, the error account had a 6 million negative balance in 1993 and he actually managed to bring it to net neutral at one point with this strategy. Oh. And then he was like, he was like, okay, I, I'm never going to do it again. I'm never going to touch the error account again. But he did lah, which is why we're seeing the <laughs> crazy losses in 1994. Okay, so now Nick, Nick was all about making back his money, right? He made this bet on 16th January... 1995 apparently the bet right i i don't understand it but it was that the japanese stock market wouldn't move too much overnight but guess what on 17th january 1995 one day after the kobe earthquake hit so he lost a hella money oh my god okay so he tried again he was like okay okay okay. you know what he bet that the nikkei stock average so i'm guessing that's like what like an index or something yep he he was best betting that it would recover but it didn't and then right on these two he lost 932 million dollars oh my god wait yeah. was that like prior to the 200 million so if you total then up total them up he actually made 700 million to bring it down to 200 million loss oh wait no I think he he lost like 700 oh (laughs) shit yeah so it's just stacked okay and so right that same man that he made those big fat losses on the Japanese market the bearings auditors they are starting to find the discrepancies oh they took them is it 4 years? yeah like 4 years oh I think you might be right okay cause by mid-February right the losses were at 2.2 2.2 billion dollars all from one man oh my goodness and but then again you must remember it's not really one man I mean yes it's one man but as a GM I think he was in charge of the whole like office everybody. in Singapore so it's like one location losing Holy 2 billion dollars but it's still really bad yeah so 2.2 billion is double of the Barings Bank capital reserve so I think that's like the liquid cash money that they have right yeah so they're screwed he should have just taken the money and run if there was a if there was a way, you know. Like yeah, right? two billion you could like change your face. You have could a hide new out identity, somewhere. Go it would have been worth so much more for him to just run and hide. Yeah. What would you do with two billion? I don't know. <laughs> I would try money. to run and hide. No, I don't need. 
I will live my life luxuriously. You can just change. I will your buy name, ice cream instead please. of selling. Oh my god! You'll buy fancy ice cream instead of selling it. Yes. On twenty third February, Nick ran. He had this rental white Mercedes because remember last time Mercedes were like the most luxury of luxury cars in Singapore. Mm-hmm. Okay, and he ran to Malaysia. So at first he stayed at the. Did re- he bring his wife along? Yeah, yeah, he bring oh. his wife. <laughs> sorry, sorry, important. Yeah, he bring his wife. First he stayed in the Region Hotel in KL. Then they went to Sabah, and they registered under his wife's name, and they stayed in room four two eight in the Shangri La Tanjung Aru Beach Resort. And on March 1st, they get on a Royal Brunei flight to Frankfurt. But the German police were actually tipped off and their bank was already looking for him. So when they landed in Germany, the police boarded the plane and arrested them. So Nick fought against extradition to Singapore. And I couldn't find anything back then, but I'm guessing... Um, but guess what? So today, today Singapore does have extradition with Germany. So if you commit a crime and you run to Germany, Germany gonna return you back. Yes. Oh. Okay, so don't go to Germany if you're running from crime. Or even better, as always advised by a briefcase podcast, don't do crime. Yes. Yes. And during his time in Germany, he was interviewed by the BBC and even sold the movie rights to his life story. Anyway, he wasn't very successful with fighting against extradition because he was sent back to Singapore on 23rd November 1995. That's quite a long time. Six months. Yeah. <laughs> But international, you know, last time very late. Oh, true, true, true. Yeah. So the trial lasted for three days and he was charged with three charges of forgery, eight of cheating. And it took like more than an hour for the charges to be read. So the judge just stood there just reading out all the things he was being charged with. Oh, I thought it would be more. Three is very little, right? Yeah. Yeah. And eight of cheating. And eight of cheating. Oh, still very little. Okay, so he pled guilty to two of the charges. And, and guess how long he was sentenced to prison for? Two years. He has a bright future. <laughs> six years. Six years. Because it's very crime. short. I, yeah. I wouldn't mind going to jail for six years for $2 billion. Right. <laughs> Good trade. Um, but don't do crime, yes. Yes, don't do crime. So anyway, he didn't even serve the six years. Because you know Singapore got good behaviour. Oh yeah. So court was in 1995. And he was released in July 1999 for good behaviour. So he actually only served like four years. Plus maybe like the six months that he was like fighting extradition in Germany lah. Oh yeah. yeah. So he was a busy boy. In prison, he wrote a book called Rope. Trader, which was also released as a big movie in 1999 and honestly it's quite a good movie okay like if you legit like the wolf of wall street you'll quite like this which is like a milder version set in singapore this guy isn't uh declared a bankrupt i mean i'm sure the bank would have sued him no oh. he still got money leh. oh wow yeah he sold the rights and everything so nick was played by ewan mcgregor you know the star wars actor uh-huh also, while he was in prison, his wife divorced him. Oh, damn. As expected. And anyway, after prison, he got his bachelor's in psychology at Middlesex University in London. He got married again to an Irish beautician named Leona Torme. And he did a bunch of public speaking. <laughs> he was very busy. Damn. Okay, at one point, he was the CEO of Galway United, a football club. But... You know, the club had some financial problems and then he resigned, which is a bit... <laughs> Wouldn't be surprised if he was behind it. Okay, so what happened to the bank? In 2007, 
KPMG was liquidating bearings. And what's interesting is that they actually sold his trading jacket. You know the jacket that he'll wear on the trading floor? Uh-huh. And maybe people actually believed it was like lucky or whatever. But it sold for £21,000. Wow. Yeah, that is crazy, right? Okay, and for some reason, in 2018, he appeared on UK Celebrity Big Brother, you know, the reality series. Mm-hmm. And he came in fourth. Damn, fourth. this guy has got his life going on. Right? So, well done. You can still um, find his website online. And as for bearings, it no longer exists. Shortly after Nick's trial, right, it was sold for £1 to the Dutch bank ING. So it sold for less than his trading jacket. <laughs> As always, thanks for being on the show, Justin. Being an ice cream seller must be very difficult and thank you for squeezing us into your busy ice cream selling schedule. Yeah, I work six days a week. Usually Sundays, the CBD is a bit empty. So it's a bit tough to... To sell ice cream. Uh, sell ice cream. But I still have to do it from time to time because it's... We're going through some hard times right now. There are not many people returning to office. <laughs> but people always gotta eat some ice cream. Yeah. So I always look out for people with their briefcase. Whoa. That's when you know they are white collar. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of A Briefcase Podcast to the listeners. And if you liked it, do share it with your friends and family. It really helps the show. And as always, you can find us on Instagram at a briefcase podcast or online at a briefcasepodcast.com. And do join us next week for another briefcase.